and welcome back to the uh, Last Mixtape podcast. Uh, as always, Sarah here with Steve. And uh, yeah, we're back after quite a quite a long break. Yeah, nothing has happened in the time since we did our last podcast. I feel everything is normal. <laughs> no major events. The world is just moving on. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, been a while since yeah. we've done one of these. Um, <laughs> obvious, for very obvious reasons. Come back with a new format for the show, which includes some exciting stuff. Yeah, we have. We've kind of had a bit of a thing, I guess. Uh, when was the last time we did this podcast? I feel like maybe just before this whole... Um, situation but yeah a uh, new format which is we're very excited about we're still keeping our reviews but the brand new thing we're introducing are our interview segment and yeah. uh, we're kind of going to try to bring on a couple of guests this week's guest is photographer Lucy Foster. We talked to her this week about being a professional photographer, being a touring photographer, creativity, um, and just kind of getting into the music photography game. So if that's something you're interested in, and it, it is a really interesting part of the industry, I think uh, stay tuned to, to listen to, to Lucy. But before all that, yeah. um, Sarah... What have you been listening to in the time since we've done this podcast? Wow, yeah, that that's a good question because it's been a while and um, my listening actually has been kind of funny. Turns mm-hmm. out I do most of my music listening on my commute. I lost my commute in March and <laughs> I haven't been commuting since, yeah. as I guess quite 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 a few quite a few of us. Um, it's been pretty much a work from home situation. So yeah. I haven't really like for the first part of lockdown anyway and um for quite a bit of it actually up until recently i haven't been really listening to much my spotify was dead and my like my 2020 um review of spotify was very like empty (laughs) so yeah not not that much not that much listening because it yeah it turns out that's kind of like my main time i do uh listening because i think i just keep myself way too busy at home and when i'm focusing i'm very much I find it very hard to listen to anything if I'm focusing. I love Original. pure silence. Yeah, yeah. My focus time is silence. And that's just how I work. <laughs> music yeah. is very distracting, I think, because I enjoy music. So music to me is quite um, distracting mm. if I'm working. Mm. So, yeah, I haven't been doing that much listening. And then obviously when I'm done with work, um, I'm either, you know, making dinner, catching up on TV, playing games. So it's been uneventful listening but you know that's why I've kind of you know kind of shifted my focus to kind of thinking about music in film and television because I've been binge watching everything um I think I binge watched half of Netflix it's (laughs) I think watching watching tv like way late into the night is like just what I do yeah um but yeah I've done done quite a lot of watching television movies I'm kind of but I do always focus on the soundtrack and those things and Mm. it is definitely like my favorite thing I fixate on and I always bring this one up, but like my absolute favorite, Donnie Darko. I think Donnie Darko has the best soundtrack of all time of anything ever. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, starts off with Echo and the Bunnymen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. So which Echo and hmm? the Bunnymen? What is, is it uh, Killing Moon or is it a... Uh... Killing Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, opens yeah. with Killing Moon. Yeah, Setting the it's... emo tone very early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant soundtrack. I mean, Tears for Fears, Duran mm-hmm. Duran, mm-hmm. Um, Joy Division, Thompson Twins. It's yes. just a really crazy, crazy. And I, I don't know how much money they spent on that. And I tried to do a Google search of what was the most expensive film 
track ever. Um, I couldn't actually find anything, and I think I was searching for the wrong thing. But that must be one of the more more expensive ones, I would assume. It spawned a number one hit, didn't it? That guy who did the cover of Mad World had a number one with that. That kind of kind of. Oh yeah, Gary Jules, Mad World. Yeah, yeah. The original yeah. is is that Tears for Fears? Is that uh, Tears for Fears? No, it is Tears for Fears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, originally by Tears for Fears, um, done by Gary Jules, I think, was um, who covered it, and uh, that one remains my partner's favorite. <laughs> yeah, um, the Gary Jules cover, because uh, oh, cool. now according. To According to them, it's like kind of is what the song is about. But I was like, I don't know. Tears for Fears have talked about it as being like that, um, you know, when you're a teenager in school and this is how you're feeling. But it's, mm. um, I don't know. I still like yeah. Tears for Fears. The Gary Jules one is quite sad, uh, but fits the film really well. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd probably skew towards the Tears for Fears version myself. Um, but I, the Gary mm. Jules one's very good too. Yeah, it's, it's a different vibe, isn't it? Expensive mm-hmm. soundtracks. I mean, I, I I would guess Quentin Tarantino probably spends quite a bit on his, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Fun fact in all my like music trivia knowledge and film, mm-hmm. um, Quentin Tarantino. You know, for the scene in Pulp Fiction, uh, where she where where they go back to her house and she puts on Son of a Preacher Man. Mm. on mm. the stereo fun fact about that song it was originally written for aretha franklin True. and aretha franklin didn't want the song because her father was a preacher and she thought it might be offensive so dusty springfield took the song and mm. aretha franklin did actually do a cover of it later on um down the line so she does have oh, a cover weird. but yeah. quentin quentin tarantino insisted on the dusty springfield uh version being in the um in the film mm. and i think it was very very insistent on that song for some reason i mean it's a great song but yeah. um he was like i'm not gonna do this film or something if i don't get the song um that's how extreme i think he was on the yeah, yeah. on maybe not that extreme but uh, yeah. he was pretty extreme in wanting that song but uh other than that um Actually, a very interesting thing I've been also uh, watching recently. Well, not that interesting. It's very, very um, in right now. Uh, that Netflix thing, Bridgerton. I hate that. I hate myself that I watched it. I, I binge watched it in one night. Seen a lot about it. It's it's old timey. It's old timey people in America. Yeah. See, it? it's it's like no, not in America. In the oh. UK, uh, okay. it's in. It said, yeah, and no, it said in, in Britain, um, it's kind of, a, it's not really a period piece. It's more of a period mm. fanfic, I would say. It's it's fun. It's it's very mm. light. It's yeah. light watching. And obviously I've been binging so much content that it just, it fell on my radar and I binged it in one night. Um, they did one interesting thing though, that was quite fun. And I liked, and it was actually something Westworld do quite a lot. So I don't know if you watch Westworld. But they did this, this amazing thing, especially in the first season, where they did covers of really famous songs on the mm. piano, on the little piano in the bar. And they did like loads of Radiohead and The Cure, and it was really cool. And I was very mm. into it. Uh, Bridgerton did a very interesting thing where they go to the balls and they do like a, an orchestra version. They did one of Billie Eilish, Bad Guy, and they did oh, one yeah. of uh, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next. And yeah. like, that was kind of a... That was a fun, quirky thing. And actually, I'm kind of into this, like, show, like, period pieces. Well, Westworld, sort of period piece, sort of not. I mean, it is, like... Obviously, if you watched it, you know you know that it's all yeah, about robots. I remember and, the um, original playground. movie with Yul Brenner 
being a robot cowboy mm. trying to kill a guy. That's, <laughs> that's what I remember. I think the TV show is a bit more intricate now. It's yeah, just... the, the TV show is very much like AI um, mm. and what's AI doing and, you know, sentient robots. But it's very cool. I enjoy it. it. It's very, very my thing. Yeah. <laughs> I should. Yeah, you can trust. You know, I was like, I trust AI. I love AI. No, it turns yeah. out like all of our human bias gets trained into the AI, so it's going to be just yeah. as bad as us. Hey, yeah, music soundtracks. Mm. I I was very. That's the thing that I'm kind of very into. I think it's really interesting to take these modern contemporary pieces and then mm. make them fit the style of the show that you're doing. So anyway, that's that's kind of yeah. me. That's that has been my kind of thinking on it. So watching a lot of content, um, I yeah. think very good soundtracks have been very prominent in quite a lot of TV shows recently. Yeah. Um, definitely Apple's launch of Apple TV and their own kind of shows that they're buying has been great. And obviously mm. they have so much money to just like pump into their music and their soundtracks. Um, so yeah. yeah. But yeah. anyway, um, what have you been listening to? Well, yeah, I thought like, uh, obviously we didn't do any podcasting over the last year. So I thought I'd talk about like one of my favorite songs from that period and probably like my favorite EP as well from it, which is Gemma Dunleavy's uh, Up the Flats. This was released midway through the year, I believe, to like really big critical acclaim. And to be honest, I think most people listening have probably either heard it or are aware of it. Just a great record. It's interesting. I had the pleasure of interviewing Gemma before, a couple of months before it came out. And it's one of those things where authenticity is such a, it's, it's impossible to fake. This record, in a world where, you know, working class identity is sometimes co-opted or it's sometimes appropriated to pe- by people as a kind of a marketing tool almost, Gemma's record is none of that. It's real, it's honest, it's about her life, it's about the, the surrounding community that is such a part of her music. It's actually in the record. It sounds, it's authentic in like every single way. Even on that, like Gemma is such an individual songwriter and artist musically. You, you couldn't put a box on the record. It could be like you know, hip hop, pop, or it could be spoken word at points. There's like found sound experiment. Like it's, it's really cool. And like having met Gemma, it's very her, you know, she is the EP, the EP is her. Like it's so intertwined that it's it's easily one of my favorite records just for individuality, great songs, like Setting Sun is one of the great songs. And Up the Flats itself is just somebody writing about who they are and where they are and, mm. you know, their past and their present and how the, how the two affect one another. So I think, you know, much like the much like Gemma herself, it's it's hard to put a box on what the EP sounds like or is, but it's easily one of the most inventive records of last year, of Irish records of the time period. And I really enjoyed it. Um, just anyone who gets a chance to listen to it, do. It's brilliant. And it hit home for me in a lot of ways, growing up working class myself, that it does resonate with a lot of people. And I know people for whom, obviously I didn't live in Dublin, so it's a little bit different. I know people who did live in Dublin, who do live in Dublin, who, who have had similar experiences and Gemma so perfectly puts it through in, in the record. And it, again, it doesn't sound like anything else. You can hear bits in it. So I, I really enjoy that. So I would say anyone, take a listen. Gemma Dunleavy's Up the Flats. The other thing I listened to just this week, it just came out, is the new album by Shame. It's their sophomore record. It is called Drunk Tank Pink. Now, here's the thing. I didn't know that's an actual thing. Drunk Tank Pink is an actual colour, which is used to diffuse situations and used in prison as a way of calming people. Did you know this? No, I I did not know this at all. 
Huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a color that was devised. Uh, I, I think it was used in prison cells in order to kind of relax, you know, prison prisoners or whatever mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I think this kind of ties into the theme of the album as something like pink, which is put in the stereotype of being feminine and then toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's this calming influence. So I'll say this like their first record. You know, um, you know what's very fun fact? Another fun fact mm-hmm. was that actually it wasn't until the 1950s that pink became a feminine color and baby mm-hmm. blue was like a masculine color for children. Before that, actually, Actually, it was the reverse. Pink was actually seen as an aggressive color, um, mm. and it, that kind of drew directly from red. So pink was yeah. just like a diluted version of red, and therefore it was still seen as masculine. So actually, it was a masculine color all the way up until the 1950s, and when we decided to brand them separately. So pink used to be an aggressive color, and blue mm. is a calming color. But obviously, things change. Yeah. Perspectives change. Yeah. But uh, it's mar- just marketing. a fun fact. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah like, um, um, uh, marketing has that kind of weird retroactive way of, you know, it's like Santa Claus. We think he always yeah. existed, but it's not. Uh, no, uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But this is a good record. I mean, Songs of Praise, which was their first album. Um, it was fine. It was very much like um, post-punk by numbers, you know, good post-punk by numbers. They were really good at it. But I felt like out of the bands like um, Idols and Fontaines and, Murder Ballad, Shame were kind of the band to me that just lacked an actual distinctive personality. I think when you listen to Idols, there's a very distinct personality about the singer and about the band and what they have to say. Same with, you know, Love Him or Hate Him, same with Fontaine's, same with Murder Capital. There's a very distinct personality about the person mm-hmm. or about some element of it, whether it's the Irishness of Fontaine's or Murder Capital's kind of, uh, dare I say it almost, Smithsian kind of lyricism or, or, you know, the kind of brutalism, which is very on point for, for, for idols. Shame, we're kind of like, this is good. I enjoy this kind of post-punk. I love post-punk, but I don't think it does anything crazy with it. Drunk Tank Pink, I think, makes it louder. It's more aggressive. It's more, um, you know, the guitars are more angular. The sound is more pointed. There's more some great tracks, Station Wagon, Nigel Hitter, which I think may be a kind of an allusion to Nigel Farage. These tracks in the, in the record are really good. So it's a good album. I really enjoyed it. People are going kind of crazy for it, thinking it's it's amazing. I, I still think they haven't solved the problem of who Shame are within the kind of the group of those bands. Now, I didn't really particularly like the new Idols album. I liked Mr. Motivator. Um, the rest of it I could take or leave. But it, was, it got me thinking today, I see what you think about this, but obviously there's a massive boom in um, post-punk, post-punk boom. Mm-hmm. And a boom only lasts so long and bands have to change and adapt yeah. to get out of that, that kind of ilk. So I think, you know, Idols will do pretty well. They, they have enough about themselves to distinguish themselves from the genre. And I think the same can be said for Fontaine's in a certain respect and same can be said for, for Murder Capital and other bands that I'm sure there are other bands I'm forgetting. These are the ones that are most to mind. And, you know. um, but I think Shame are just so pointed and so precise with their post-punk that there's no... I think if, if the post-punk boom died, I don't think they'd survive it because they're just too post-punky exactly yeah it's not yeah i mean there's this boom but it something about it is starting to feel very stale and i think that was always going to be the danger with these things and i'm yeah massive massive fan of post-punk but even for me it's like wow this is getting a little bit oversaturated and i want to see something different and i think it's just this formation of you know four or five guys playing post-punk it's like we've we've seen it we've seen it in the 80s 
we're seeing it now. Not that I'm complaining. I enjoy this music and I'm glad that mm-hmm. like it got a little bit more momentum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you've said, like every boom has its crash. And mm. I think, you know, very soon, I think we're going to see another shift to something else. And yeah. definitely the bands who adapt survive. And we've seen this with like, I know people are not big fans of you too, but we've seen this with you mm-hmm. too. I mean, the only reason they're still relevant today is because they've managed to adapt to yeah. just changing tastes, changing yeah. styles. And that's really seems to be like the key for longevity. Mm-hmm. If you, if you plan on staying in music, whereas, you know, the Smiths had their run, they were great. They had their mm-hmm. run and they were not mm-hmm. going to be creating anything after that. And I think anything after that, that Morrissey created was kind of shit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they had their time and that was yeah. great. And that was it. And I think this is probably going to be the case for a lot of the bands that are around now. Um, mm. If they don't change and adapt. But yeah. again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there was kind of this post-punk boom, but mm. it feels like it's time it, that we start kind of doing something a bit more fresh, a bit more new um, because we've seen this. And I think for me, the big reason for liking all of this was like, oh yeah, I like the eighties post-punk. So it's nice to hear someone doing it again. But it was like, it's nice to hear someone doing it again rather than someone's doing something new. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's, that's my two cents on the matter. I think you're right, yeah. But I think Shame are a cool band. Just a little bit lacking in personality for me. I just, they might find it, and I'm yeah. hopeful that they do. <laughs> I think, look, there's, there's, there's big improvements on this record. You know, it, 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 even the Drunk Tank Pink thing has a kind of a more of a thematic thing than the other record did. And, you know, the, the songs I mentioned as well have a cool thing. So I think they, they, they have it in them, but it's time to get off the boat now. Do you know what I mean? It's starting to mm-hmm. tilt. Cool. So now we're going to move on to our very new, exciting interview section. And Steve, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, cool. Today uh, we're joined by uh, music photographer Lucy Foster. She's toured with uh, Dermot Kennedy for the last uh, couple of years. Uh, she's also shot Billie Eilish at Glastonbury. Uh, she's one of my favorite photographers. I actually own a piece of her work on my wall. Thanks for joining us, Lucy. I was thinking about this though. Creatively, you you are going like touring with Dermot, and you kind of you've been on the road as a, a photographer, like. I don't know yeah. about you guys, but like for me, being creative is like a sprint. I just like creative for a very short period of time, real quick, and then mm. can't do anything. But when you're like touring with somebody, it's kind of more like a marathon, isn't it? You're like every day you're either at a gig or portraits or something like that. How did you yeah. kind of maintain that level of creativity over a tour? Um, I don't know, to be honest. And I think you just, you're so kind of engrossed in it for so long that you're just everything moves so quickly so like I'll have shot one show looking at the photos and then looking at them I might be like oh that would be cool you know shot from there or that kind of thing so and then at the same you know you are shooting the same show every night so you're kind of having to work within those parameters too which I think is actually really cool like you don't really get that opportunity much but I think yeah just kind of focusing on different things each night like and depending on the venue like it might be a really nice theater so the wide shots are going to look really cool like taking that all in or it might be kind of a more working within the parameters of shooting that show and what's what bit of the set is going to look good in this room from where that kind of thing for you before you went on tour like can you see like obviously when you do something again and again it's almost not like is it Mm. a thousand hours type thing people yeah did you feel like from starting the tour with Dermot 
and starting that whole kind of road you went down, do you feel like you're a different photographer than you were when you began? I do think I'm a different photographer for sure. Yeah, I feel like just the more you do it, you get, I suppose, more confident. And like when I first started, I had gone from only ever shooting in the pit to then having access to the whole venue. So I was like obsessed with shooting those really wide shots and like going right up to the back of the room on the balcony and getting like the whole room in because I'd never like from the back of the stage and getting the whole crowd like because I'd never I'd never gotten the chance to do that before. And then I think just as you're going and going, you kind of want to make sure you get you know, good shots every time. And then I think as you do it more and more often, you kind of become more confident that you will. So you're like, okay, I can take that risk and like take the time to run to the back of the room and it might take me a song to get there, but I know the shot I get when I do get up there will be worth it. And I think you just, the way you're looking at the show and the photos you can get from it keeps expanding. Yeah, like I suppose for people listening in, the pit is the area where uh, mm-hmm. photographers at gigs kind of, you'll see them coming in if you're at the front row, you see like a bunch of photographers come in for the first three songs, mm-hmm. take photos in the dark, trip over each other, nudge each other out of the way. You're in the Olympia, you try and not fall down that hole at the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so that's kind of generally, it's three songs and out. Like you, when yeah. you're touring, obviously with Dermot, you get free reign basically yeah. to, to go wherever you like. Um, what does like a normal day, like let's say a normal gig day for you look like as a photographer? Do you go around the venue, kind of try to scope it out a bit or are you already busy kind of getting behind the scenes stuff? It depends. In the early days, like earlier days of touring with Dermot, I was kind of shooting all day and it was just all behind the scenes and we'd go out for a walk in, excuse me, whatever city we were in and take pictures there. And it would pretty much just be documenting everything all day. Now, well, not now. I'll have to like (laughs) scratch my brain. Yeah. (laughs) Try and remember what I do. Dermot has a lot more on during the day. Like he might have meetings or interviews, that kind of thing. So there's not as much of that during the day. So it might be, he might be doing promo during the day and I'd go with them and maybe I'd take photos and video of that just to document. But some days, you know, it might not be <clears throat> anything until the few day or the few minutes before he goes on stage, takes some portraits. Uh, it just depends. Yeah, every day is, is a bit different in that way. And obviously, like you've worked with a, with a good few people around like at the music scene. And I think it was the summer before, obviously, everything happened. You were at Glastonbury and you got the chance to shoot uh, yeah. Eilish, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, what was, was that like? Were, were you nervous? She was amazing to photograph because she's, you're proper sprinting around. And especially I was so nervous. And I was like, shoot, I was hired by them to shoot it for her. So I was like, okay, these have to be good. And then I was like, shit, what if, you know, what if this is the, the gig or I, I don't get any photos and it's all, you know, that goes through my mind all the time. And you, yeah, it's just like sprinting after because she tears around the place. But she looks amazing and she's so energetic that you get really good photos. Like what she wears is so cool. So yeah, getting to photograph her was amazing. Because it's interesting you say that, like listening to Billie Eilish, I never think of her running around the stage. Mm. So like my preconception going in to shoot that was like, oh, she's going to be quite still. Right. You know, all this kind of stuff. What, what am I going to do? Now, I always get pre-gig paranoia that I'm going to forget how to take a photo. Yeah, same. Everything. <laughs> like, you know. Like when you're trying to portray an artist who they are um, and that who that or what their performance is like, what are you looking for? Like what kind of 
things you're trying to capture? Let's say with, with Billy on that, that evening in Glastonbury. I don't really think about that too much in advance. And once it starts, like I can be so nervous. And once it starts, it's just like, you know, you just like click into action. It's like you don't have time to think about that anymore. And that's sort of where I get into the zone of like being creative with it. And I just kind of watch them and follow them around and just whatever kind of unfolds by what they're doing, I'll try and like follow it. Or then I'll be like, oh, she keeps doing that. I'll try and capture that from the back or whatever. But I don't really think about that too far in advance. Because I think if I went in being like, I want to try and get it, I'd end up kind of waiting for that and maybe missing something else. Or I just try and kind of go with whatever's happening for you was that like kind of rush of adrenaline that excitement beforehand the nerves is that kind of why photography wise you kind of gravitated towards music photography live music photography just when I found out music photography was a thing I was like oh wow amazing I want to do that and there's definitely yeah there's a lot gotten from that adrenaline and that kind of the nerves before and then kicking into action and I think you'll shoot the show and people will always say to me after like oh did you get good photos and I'm like I don't know yet <laughs> like you're just kind of in it and you're just taking pictures and following them around and you don't really have time to look at them or you're checking stuff like you just it's like when you get them on your laptop you're like oh cool like that one came out or you know yeah. and I love that I love downloading your memory card and being like oh yeah cool this worked or like thankfully I haven't had a night oh my gosh shit I didn't get anything but that is always my fear yeah there's the there's always a sense of like relief when you're like oh can you (laughs) like for me I am such a warrior at gigs even when I'm shooting I'm just like oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god three songs is up and I'm like I really hope (laughs) I really hope this is going to look good I know as you say you, you don't get the chance to I do that every time, every gig. I'm like, oh, what? Like, this could be the one where I just don't get any photos and everything up till now has been a fluke. And like, I've never, I don't know um, if either of you guys, I know you you definitely have, Lucy, but like, you guys ever shoot film? And uh, I, I, I do not have the patience. I'm, a, I'm an instant gratification human. Really? <laughs> I've actually um, had that thought just yesterday about shooting film. And I've just ordered a disposable camera for that purpose. Because um, oh. I have I actually have an issue where I take way too many photos of things because I also kind of have that anxiety of I won't take a photo um, nicely. But I don't really take photos of gigs. I do quite a lot of Irish landscapes just for fun when I'm out hiking. Uh, but I'd love to kind of capture what I'm seeing which is sometimes kind of hard um, to capture that through a camera. So I I tend to end up kind of having thousands and thousands of photos and my editing process is extremely difficult and I really hate it. So I actually wanted to ask you, Lucy, about your editing process after kind of your night out taking photos of the gig. How do you go about that? And do you end up with like thousands of photos that you need to kind of edit through? Because that's definitely a big, big problem for me. And that's kind of why I've been trying to think about taking more film so I can limit myself in the amount of photos I can take. And that is definitely what I like about film, that it slows you down. And then you're not, you do think about it more because you're not like, oh, I'll take one like this and I'll, you know, take another one like that. You're like, okay, no, I want to get it right in one. It depends. If I'm really nervous, I always end up taking way more photos. But then being on tour with Derma, because it's so like I'm shooting that show every night and it's consistent and I kind of get a bit more like as I get to know the set and I know what's going to happen when and I know like I feel a lot more confident in I take a lot less photos and I try to do that when I started touring I deliberately was like okay be a bit more like 
deliberate about what I'm shooting don't just like fire off loads of stuff but it definitely fluctuates yeah I'll have a night where I feel a bit more confident and calm and I'll take less and then a night room if I'm kind of stressed or if it's like a big show I'll be like oh it's same like oh I have to get good photos of this and I end up taking way more so it, it goes up and down for sure. Is there a gig a venue a place that you've shot that you know, because we all, I, I'm, I'm sure, I maybe I'm just talking from about myself here, but like, I think everyone gets imposter syndrome sometimes. Oh, yeah. No matter what you do or where you are, I get it at home on my own. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Is there like, is there, was there a moment for you where maybe the, the imposter syndrome subsided and is like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. This is, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is my job. I'm a professional. I'm here, this amazing venue, whatever it is. Was there a venue or gig for you that you felt that? Yeah, it. It never really goes away for good. But I remember two times where I think it was the first or it might have been the second US tour. Yeah, I think it was the end of 2018. And the last show of the tour was in L.A. I went there was like a roof garden on the venue and I went up to it and I was just kind of looking out. and It was pretty cool. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I just kind of decided I wanted to be a music photographer. I didn't really know how I was going to do that, but I just knew I really wanted it. I really wanted to tour. And I've ended up like going around the world and I'm shooting this show in L.A. Like that's I was like, that's crazy. I was like, I must, you know, it can't all have been a fluke. Like there has to be some. And then the end of, not last year now, 2019 at Three Arena. Dermot did two nights at Three Arena to finish. But we had been on the road for three months by the time that came around. And like when we started that tour in September, I was like, oh God, this is the run with Three Arena on it. Like, And I've never shot there. I never did any in the pit. I'd never shot there before. So I was like, oh, this is going to be like, I'm definitely going to be so nervous that night. Like, that's such a big show. And then on the day, I sort of felt like I was ready for it. And on that tour, there was lots of like gradual jump ups in the size of venue. Like as we went through the UK tour, by the time we got to the three arena, I kind of felt ready for it. And I felt confident that like, yeah, I can do this. I can shoot this well. And But it's kind of interesting you were saying like... um kind of going from that and kind of feeling more like this is what I do this is my job I just kind of because you I remember I think it wasn't your first festival but we met at Forbidden yeah 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 that was my first festival because um, it was also mine I was, I was, was doing my first festival yeah. yeah and you pretty much shot up it was amazing to see because you just like went from shooting that and then like obviously doing amazing stuff uh touring obviously shooting Billy Eilish and Dermot and stuff like that do you think like obviously now there'll probably be a lot of people who are into photography listening to this or they want to get into photography I'm going to ask you the question that you probably get asked what advice would you have for somebody who wants to do that who wants to get into music photography where did they begin well there are definitely a lot of different ways to do it because every time you hear somebody get asked this question they always have a really different answer but for me I started emailing so like I was in Dublin chose like Whelan's Grand Social and Workman's basically and I would just look through like who was going to be playing that and I would make a list of everyone and I would email them or I'd find them on Facebook or whatever way it was and just ask if I could come and shoot say that I wanted to I was trying to get a portfolio together because like I had nothing at the obviously in the beginning and by doing like I think probably you could go to shows in those venues and bring a camera maybe and get away with it but by like reaching out in advance and sending an email 
kind of made that connection. So then it was like afterward, I'd show them the photos, they could post them if they wanted and it kind of created that relationship there and just you know so people kind of know you exist and are trying to do that and you know they might just keep you in mind and then gradually I did that like I really and then gradually once as I as I got my portfolio together I started sending to just different like blogs and stuff here like I think at the thin air then I started shooting with and then head stuff for a brief period at the time and then through that I got access to like the bigger gigs and different venues and that's how so by that summer 2016 I got into like shoot festivals through that and then I was like okay I'm going to like shoot all these festivals and I'm doing like it was all voluntary to like get the access and get a portfolio together of like bigger gigs and bigger artists and my goal was like next year I'm going to be like working on the photo teams. That was my goal. And I think I had those like little goals along the way and I had no idea how I was going to get to where I wanted to be. But I just sort of felt like even if there was tiny little wins, like if someone just being like, oh, yeah, I heard you shoot gigs. I was like, oh, they know that I'm doing that. That's a good thing. Like those tiny little things sort of I was like, I don't know how that's going to help me, but I just know it's. It's one tiny step in the right direction. And that sort of just kept me going until gradually. But it took a long time. I think it was like a year of pretty much shooting everything just for like blogs and that kind of thing. And then I feel like by the second year, if say if my name was coming up, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I've heard of her before. Oh, she's still around or that kind of thing. And then gradually started getting hired and like by different artists to shoot gigs or shoot press photos and gradually building up that side of things too. Cool so that was our interview with Lucy Foster and now we're just going to move on to our review section and uh, review our artist of the week. So this week, we're going to have a look at the work of Sinead O'Brien. So Steve, pass it over to you. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Sinead's work is something I've been following for the last couple of years. I think I first heard of her through Wen Young. I believe she supported them, perhaps in in Dublin. If memory serves me right, this was in the before times when people could go to gigs. But I I think through Aoife, who was in in Wen Young, shared one of her tracks on Instagram or something like that and I kind of came upon it and I was like wow this is this is something really cool this is like music right down my alley it's kind of a mix of like John Cooper Clark Marky Smith spoken word poetry post-punk angular music like some of her tracks like I think All Joy I think was the first track I heard from her and uh, I really loved it her her lyricism her her voice again kind of going back to what we were talking about with Gemma earlier on is that she has a very distinctive voice throughout her work she hasn't released an album but has released an EP called Drowning and Blessings which I really love this year as well um, Roman Runes Fall With Me Most Modern Painting really just a, a whole world to dive into lyrically and sonically as well I think the music is, is really on point her band you messaged me rather recently about you you found her to your own means so how did you first come upon her? Yeah so I was back to listening to stuff on Spotify because I was like it's time that I go back to listening to music and especially new music Um, I can be a little bit bad for that sometimes. So I do try to push myself to listen to more things. So there was this um, playlist recommend me on Spotify and 
they're not that I'm like, oh, the algorithm. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, it does great things, but uh, also not the biggest fan of being like, oh, do what Spotify says. But anyway, they did have this actually a great playlist called Post Punk 2K was the title of this. And I clicked into it being like, okay, I'm going to listen to some new music, some new post punk, um, mm-hmm. because obviously I always go back to that. <laughs> and um, it had some interesting people on it that I already enjoy. So they had the Viagra Boys and Park at Courts and um, Shane was on it too, actually. Anyway, I just clicked play. And all of a sudden, Sinead O'Brien's music came on. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Why haven't I heard of this person before? So she just happened to be on that playlist. And when I heard her, I was like, I really love this. And I guess my first impression was like, oh my God, it's like, she's Patti Smith. She's like Patti Smith in like today, which is not something you come across and not something you come across in Irish music. I think we have a very like distinctive, we sometimes have a distinctive like Irish style of music, which I think Mm -hmm. now is being changed and molded into like different things. And people are like more open to doing a lot of different things. But I just haven't come across a female musician like Sinead O'Brien before. And I was so excited. I was just really, really excited. Well, no, as in, I I haven't come across like an Irish musician, an Irish female musician like Sinead. And Mm -hmm. um, that just got me really excited because I was like, I haven't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong because maybe I haven't just, you know, had a a wider kind of picture of what's going on globally right now. But I just haven't come Mm. across anyone that kind of reminded me of Patti Smith in a very long time. And I'm a huge, huge fan. So yeah, no, lyrically, she's so strong. And the music is just great. Like everything about her was just so good. And uh, yeah, that's how I came across her. And I had to like message you instantly being like, who is this? Do you know her? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, no, I just really like fell in love with her music instantly. So that's definitely an album I'm really looking forward to being released. Um, Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it's in the works because it's so exciting. So that's how I came across her. And that's what got me really excited about her music. But then you were like, yeah, I know her. (laughs) I've I've reviewed her music before. I was like, damn it. But no, I, I, mean, I found someone you. Well, you did. It's cool to find new artists, and like she's literally starting her career. I think, like, I don't know for you, but for me, like, one of the things that's really drawn me to her music is um, her delivery. I, I don't know enough about her background, so I won't, you know, assume. But I, I assume that there's a spoken word or a poetry background. I believe T. S. Eliot or Sylvia Plath or people that she she is influences her music as much as a patty smith or a, or a john cooper clark who are themselves poets i think patty smith actually began as a poet just speaking over other people's music isn't that how that version of gloria came to be mm. um so yeah i think the way she to me like I, I remember first listening to a thing called joy and again it was just literally i think Eva from when young shared her music on a story and i said oh what's this and i was like oh my god this is there's something very like you say very patty smith had, you know has had that kind of new york personality about her you know patty smith is patty smith and you don't bring up that name lightly do you really you know that's that's such an individual um, yeah you really really don't <laughs> she has she she has that but she has very much her own thing it's kind of entangled in the music you know the music kind of punctuates it but she seems to kind of lead the music you could almost imagine the band are kind of ad-libbing behind her and it's it's part of a kind of a a, a, a to and fro in the music i think i probably you know uh, roman rules but that whole drowning in blessings i mean that's such an i'm a i'm a total sucker for a good title if something has a good title yeah. I, I'm, I'm in you have me 
And uh, Drowning in Blessings, uh, most modern painting I loved because, you know, like a post-modern painting, most modern painting, I love it. Uh, Strangers in Danger, I won't like read out any of our lyrics or anything like that, but I just think it just seems to fit so well with the music with her. Words are, are so strong and evocative. Even, you know, the name Drowning in Blessings is, is cool. I, I really enjoyed it, that thing about her. What, what did you think when you first heard her? For me, I think it was mostly just the overall sound. Um... I don't think I was immediately focusing on the lyrics, mm-hmm. um, on what she was saying, which is, I'm like, is that, is that really bad to say? I was like, just the overall sound, the music and how her spoken word and how the music all fit together, I think was something that drew me in personally. And then just mm-hmm. kind of that tying everything in with um, the kind of Patti Smith and Mark and uh, Marky Smith. Yeah, it was just just that combination, I think, for me, was uh, mm. something that drew me in first. Uh, lyrically, I think that's something that I need to be a lot more focused for. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. focusing on things isn't maybe my uh, strongest. But um, yeah, that, I think that's, for me, was mostly just the kind of combination of all mm. of that together was what made mm. the most impact. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm going to go back over it and focus on the lyrics because I'm, I'm I'm sure there's a lot there. Well, I think that's it's interesting. Everyone goes into listening music differently. And some people, it's the lyrics is the first thing they, they hear. And for other people, it's the overall, how the actual voice melds with the music. So I think it's all valid which way you kind of come into it. You're taking well-performed and well-presented music, you know, when a performer is doing it right, they could be singing the phone book, you know, it's that old adage, isn't it? You know what I mean? They, they, it, there's something about them so that's interesting that it was the kind of feel of of Sinead O'Brien's music that really kind of drew you in and it, mm. it's yeah there's a real presence to her her voice even just the sound of her voice yeah that I and I, I'm like you I'm, I'm really excited to hear more from her I think yeah likes of her and, and Gemma Donevy and people like that it's it good to hear these quite inventive musicians doing stuff that is very them again like I, you kind of feel and having never interviewed or met Sinead O'Brien this is very, you know, almost like the person you're hearing on the record is how you would hear them speak or how they would be in, in person. And it really comes across. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's there's quite a lot of personality and uniqueness to uh, what she's creating. So mm. I think she's definitely bringing in quite a lot of her own elements. I mean, I am saying it reminds me of this, that and the other, but I think there are so many of her like there's so much of her personality and her own elements in this music. So that's that probably that's a, probably another big factor for, you know, drawing me into her music itself as well. Really a big fan already. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to the album. What song would you recommend listeners listen to? Let's go with um, Drowning in Blessings. Cool, yeah. I might go with her first one that I came in then, um, I think All Joy. So we'll go through both ends of the spectrum there. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on Sinead O'Brien. I'm glad you've suggested her for the podcast. So I'm glad you did because it's good to talk about new upcoming Irish artists uh, making mm. different and new sounds. Yeah, definitely. But I think that's it for awesome. this week's um, well, TLMT podcast. We will catch you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed the new format and the new style of the show. It's been kind of fun to make. So hopefully more interviews in the coming year and more featured artists and stuff like that. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. 